Well, let's make our confession. This is our year of Jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We've been talking about the healing anointing for the last several weeks, and we want to continue in that vein. We've been using a couple of text scriptures, Zechariah chapter 4 and Isaiah chapter 10. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel was undertaking or financing the um, rebuilding of the temple. And it was a, a physical labor. But God was telling him that victory would not come by military might or by physical strength, but rather by the Spirit of God. God does things, many, un, many things that he does by using unseen forces. And basically, the Bible tells us that the work of God in the earth is carried out by the Holy Spirit, the unseen force of God. Then when we look at Isaiah chapter 10, Verse 27, Isaiah says to the people, and it shall come to pass in that day, and the day he's talking about is the day of the new covenant, our day, and it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Unseen forces are the things that God uses to bring victory to his people. Luke chapter 3 verse 21 gives us the beginning of Jesus' ministry in the earth. Now, it came, now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying the heaven was opened. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved son, I am well pleased. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus continued in his ministry in and around Galilee. In Luke chapter 4, after Jesus is tempted of the devil... Verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Folks, the Bible is full of scriptures and information that identifies that God wants his people, his church, 
to do the same works that he did. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, if Jesus said that we're going to do the same works that he did, and he did miracles and healings, and he spoke both preaching and teaching to the people, if God expects us to do the same works that he did, then he certainly wouldn't hide how to operate in these things, would he? If he wants us, to do the same works as he did, miracle works, healing works, then it doesn't seem to me that he would set forth the moving of the Holy Ghost or how God manifests himself in such a way that we wouldn't understand. Because if we don't know, if Jesus says that the work of God is done by the anointing, and we don't have that anointing, or we don't know how to cooperate with that anointing, then it'd be impossible for the works to be done through us. So again, Luke chapter 4, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is, this not, is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, You shall surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in, thy, in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he, verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. Jesus goes to Nazareth. First time he's ever been to Nazareth for the purpose of preaching or teaching the word. He gets to Capernaum, um, he gets to Nazareth, and he knows that the people have heard what's happened in Capernaum. But they don't let it happen in their, in their town. And the reason they give is because they know his father. There's something about the, the genealogy of the Messiah that they have in their minds that would disqualify 
Jesus from being the Messiah. Now let's find out what happened in Capernaum. In Mark chapter 1, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It tells us about the temptation of Jesus, how Jesus was tempted of the devil. And in verse 21, Mark chapter 1, verse 21, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. So we know he's at Capernaum. We know he's at the place that the people of Nazareth have heard about. But what did they hear? They went to Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were all astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Now notice verse 22. They were astonished at his doctrine, his teaching, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Now this word, notice where it says as one that had authority. If you look up the uh, definition of these words in the Greek language, it literally means how to, hold, how to hold authority. The word as means how. The manner in which something is done that had authority is the, Hebrew, is the Greek word for hold, to hold. So the, they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them how to hold authority and not as the scribes. It tells about the cleansing of the man that had the unclean spirit. Verse 27, they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commanded he even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about. Then it tells us, beginning in verse 29, it tells us about the healing of, of Peter's mother-in-law. Now we know where Peter's house was. It's in the ruins of Capernaum today. So this is in the region of, literally in the city of Capernaum. Verse 30, Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him, told Jesus about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto him those that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. So what they've heard, what they've heard in Nazareth about the things that happened in Jerusalem 
wasn't just one or two people being healed, but it was something that drew the whole city to where he was. He healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Now skip with me over to Mark chapter 6. And he went out from thence and came into his own country and his disciples followed him. This is Mark's account of when he's in Nazareth. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. So this is Nazareth. This is the situation that we began reading in Luke chapter 4. He's claimed to be the anointed one. He's claimed to be anointed by the Holy Ghost to heal the sick, to speak to the people and heal the sick. But something... And I'm not exactly sure how this worked or what this is referring to, but there was something about his family being known that the people of the city thought that it disqualified Jesus from being the Messiah. And if he was not the Messiah, then those verses of Scripture that we read from Isaiah couldn't have applied to him. So there's something in their knowledge of Jesus' mother and father and his brothers and sisters. There's something that they have in their mind that would keep him from being the Messiah and it kept them from experiencing the things that God sent Jesus to do. When Jesus said to the people of Nazareth, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me, and enlist the things that he's anointed to do. Those were things that Jesus was equipped and prepared and sent by the Spirit of God into Nazareth so that the Spirit, so that the people could take advantage and experience healings and miracles that we know happened, the same healings and miracles that happened in Capernaum. But verse 6, Mark chapter 6, verse 5, and he could there do no mighty work. Now notice it doesn't say that he wouldn't. It says that he couldn't do any mighty work, save or accept that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching.
in Mark chapter 6, in verse 56. It tells us about the kind of healings that Jesus was experiencing. Verse 53, and when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And where they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him and ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they had heard that he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and they besought him that they might touch if it were but the border of his garment and as many as touched him were made whole. Folks, the healing ministry of Jesus was not an afterthought. The healing ministry of Jesus was something that turned whole cities upside down. And even if you or I had been there and not had any sicknesses to be healed of, we'd at the very least witnessed the multitudes the cities that turn out. And come to Jesus to receive the power of God through the unseen force, the unseen anointing, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that is amazing is this, this healing anointing wasn't specifically or exclusively for Jesus. We, I think, have a religious idea about how things work. In Luke chapter, one, chapter 9, verse 1, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now the kingdom of God is where the will of God is done in the earth just like it is in heaven. So he sent the twelve to preach or proclaim that God's will could be established in your own life. How how did the anointing work in people that were unsaved? How did this healing anointing through the disciples produce the same results through the ministry of Jesus as well? It's easy for us to understand that the healing power of God would work, the miracle working power would work through Jesus because we recognize that he was holy. We recognize that he had no sin in his life. But he's delegating this healing power to people that aren't holy. They aren't redeemed. They couldn't have been redeemed. They couldn't have been born again because Jesus hadn't yet been to the cross. But these are just unsaved, 
unrighteous men. How did it work for them? Well, the answer is pretty simple. It worked for them because they put the Word of God first. They put following Jesus, who was the Word made flesh. That became the most important thing in their lives. Now in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends the 70 out. After these things, the Lord appointed the other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where, whether he himself would come. If we skip down to verse 17, we find what they said happened when they went to do what Jesus sent him to do. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So the 70 come back. The verses of Scripture that we didn't read were the ones that where Jesus commissioned them and told them what to do, told them to heal the sick in any city that received them. And they come back and say that they found that the name of Jesus worked over devils, gave them authority over demonic activity. And Jesus confirmed that. Behold, I give you power. The word power is authority. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power. This is a different word. And this word power means ability. So he gave his disciples authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the ability of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So with unrighteous men who were sanctified only by putting their loyalty to following Jesus, that gave them the right to act on Jesus' words to heal the sick and to set people free from evil spirits. Turn back with me to Mark chapter 5. Jesus has just been in Capernaum. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Now the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. We know that Jesus is going to credit her faith 
for being the healing agent in her body. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. We know what her faith is. Her faith is where she's speaking and saying, if I can just touch the border of his garment, I shall be whole. She had to have heard that other people were being healed by touching his garment. Because if she hasn't heard anything like that, she would have no basis to say what she said. She would have no basis to believe that there's healing power in the saturated into the cloth that Jesus is wearing. And she could have said anything else. She could have said, if I can just get Jesus to lay hands on me and pray for me, I shall be whole. But she didn't have faith for that which means she couldn't have heard that. What she believes has to be a report of what has happened, what has taken place. Now, the only place that we know that Jesus was is Capernaum before he went to Nazareth. So this woman is either in Capernaum, the woman with the issue of blood, that takes place either in Capernaum or in somewhere that would be described as the region roundabout. Now Jesus taught in Mark chapter 4 the parable of the sower sowing the word. And in that parable he described to his disciples He said to them, unto you is the mystery of the kingdom of God. So there's a mystery. There's an unseen, unknown, physically unknown characteristic that is ne- or action that is necessary for the will of God to be done in your life. God has a plan for your life. He had a plan for these people. But some of his plan for them was detoured or really foregone because they didn't step out in faith. So she says, if I could just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press, and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thine plague. Now, folks, I would submit to you that the thing that made her whole was the power of God that went into her. So when Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you whole, 
He's not saying that her ability or even her authority over the works of the devil was the predominant force. He says that her faith made her whole. So it was her faith that triggered the anointing. It was her faith. It was the words that she spoke directly because of what she had heard of Jesus. We could say it this way, her words made her whole. The mystery of the kingdom of God is to speak the word. If you want God's will to come to pass in your life, then the one example that we're given the only example we're given is to speak the word. Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Daughter, thy words have made thee whole. Daughter, thy words of healing has made thee whole. Those would be true, wouldn't they? Acts 10.38 tells us about Peter being called, summoned to Cornelius' house. And when he got there, he began telling about Jesus. And in verse 38, Peter speaks these words, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. It's interesting to me that Jesus, that Peter would start off talking about Jesus concerning the anointing that was upon him. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Now we know when he was anointed. We know that the anointing came upon him when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. I think the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River is widely misunderstood because many in the church world believe that Jesus healed the sick and did miracles to prove that he was the Son of God. Or more specifically, maybe we should say it this way. Many Christians, maybe most Christians, believe that Jesus was the Son of God or performed healing miracles because he was the Son of God. Now, if Jesus performed healing miracles because he was the Son of God, then why would he need to be anointed? And who would anoint him? He's part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity. Who, who can or would anoint God himself? When 
Jesus was anointed, it showed that he was a man. He had emptied himself, according to Philippians 2. He had emptied himself of all of the power and the glory that he had with the Father before he came to the earth. And all of the miracles that we can read about and the healings that we have talked about even thus far this morning. Jesus said over and over again that he was not the one doing the works. He said that he wasn't the one that was speaking the words. Now you know what I mean by that, certainly. Jesus was the physical being that the words came out of, but he's saying that the words that he spoke were words that were directed or given to him by the Holy Ghost. So if Jesus was not the one doing the work, if he was not the one speaking the words, then who was? It was the work of the Holy Spirit that came upon him when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Folks, this verse of Scripture is full of the information that would, if accepted, would bring people from sickness into healing, from captivity into freedom. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. There's the power or ability that he did the works, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Well, healing must be good because he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. That means every person that Jesus ministered to or healed was the devil or the result of the devil's oppression. Sickness and disease is always of the devil and never of God. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now what that means is, God was not only on his side, God was not only quick to influence or direct Jesus, but it means that everything that happened in the healing miracles and the wonderful things that took place in Jesus' ministry while he was here on the earth was the will of God that was made manifest in his life and ministry. Verily, verily, I say unto you, John 14, 12, He that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now certainly Jesus wanted these things to continue, healings and miracles and such. And the Bible gives us some specific information about healing the sick during the church age. In James chapter 5, 
James said, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven. Now James sets forth, as inspired by the Holy Ghost, he sets forth a rule, a spiritual rule concerning sickness and disease. He asks, is any sick among them? Now in the original language, the Greek language, there are, um, there's an underlying meaning in the Greek words that are used. It literally means, is any sick among you, anyone beyond doing something for themselves? James is instructing the people that they should first reach out to God for themselves and obtain healing through faith just between them and, and the Lord. That's a part of our spiritual development. But there come times when it has gotten to the point where it's beyond what the individual can do for themselves. One, uh, one minister I heard recently said about this, is any sick among you, it would mean bedfast or bedridden. Well, that would certainly be a situation that was beyond what you could do for yourself. So he said, let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. In the most extreme cases of sickness and disease, where someone has gotten themselves in a situation where the power of the sickness and disease that Satan has put upon them brings them to a place where without help they don't make it. James says, here's your help. Where the elders of the church would pray over them. This word pray is not the word ask. It's a word to declare. And let them pray or declare over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, Jesus said the prayer of faith in Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you, do, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So the prayer of faith is the prayer that believes it receives when it prays. That's why this word pray in verse 14, meaning declare, is important. Because if they've operated on their own, in their own faith, then they come to
come to a place where it's beyond their, own, their ability to do anything about it for themselves. But the prayer that believes it receives when it prays heals the sick. And the Lord raises him up. And it says, if they have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So the Bible tells us, therefore, that in the, the church age, these last days, sickness and disease is a part of what, what we have to contend with. We have no need to fear it, but we have authority over the devil's power. The sickness and disease is certainly something that, that we have to contend with in our Christian walk, our Christian lives. Paul had some experience with sickness and disease. Philippians chapter 2 verse 19 Paul said I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state for I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state verse 25 yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 29, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. So Epaphroditus had worked himself into a sickness or a, a condition that he was very near death. But apparently at the last moment or in the last stages of whatever condition he was in, it says because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death. Somehow or another it would seem to me, and I'm sure it's not just me, but when you're working for God, we might assume that there would be some special privileges or work of God that would be available since we were doing something that was such a good, good purpose or a good result. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. This has to mean, folks, that we're responsible for taking care of ourselves. 
because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. He worked himself almost to death. There's another place where Paul tells the church that he left Trophimus at Miletum sick. Doesn't tell us anything about his sickness. Doesn't tell us what the condition or the purpose or even the why. It just said that he left, had to leave him. He was too frail to be able to continue on with them in their missionary journey. <laughs> so he left Trophimus at Philetum and he was sick. We don't know what happened to him. There's never another mention made of him. So there are situations that will arise, certainly discouraging situations that will arise. <clears throat> there may be even things that we don't have answers for. But the one thing the Bible does tell us is that none of the things that happen, none of the Conditions of sickness. Or the results. Whether they turned out to be victorious results. Or whether even one of these guys may have succumbed to sickness and death. We don't know. But it doesn't change the reality. That sickness is of satanic oppression. Satan is the origin of sickness and disease. And it doesn't change a bit. The truth that the Bible has given to us concerning Jesus paying the price for our, our sickness. Paul says in talking to the church 1 Corinthians chapter 11 he identifies that the attitude of the people that receive communion is important and must be guarded because if it's not guarded and surrounded with the right attitude towards the meaning of these things. It says it brought in sickness into the church at Corinth because people had the wrong attitude about what the elements stood for. It caused many of them to be weak and sickly and it caused many people to... to in their lives or come to the end of their lives without, first, uh, without accomplishing what God had planned for them. 
For this cause many are weak and sickly, and many sleep. So there's an unseen force regarding the communion elements that we need to keep in mind. Now the people that had the wrong attitude in Corinth had the wrong attitude about the body and the blood of Jesus. It doesn't tell us that they started some kind of campaign in the church and that they were teaching false doctrine or trying to sway the church in any way whatsoever. If that had been the case, Paul would certainly have included it in the letter that he wrote to them. But by virtue of the fact that he doesn't, then he's identifying for us that it's just a simple and personal adjustment that has to be made to have the right attitude toward what Jesus did for us as a sacrifice. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had taken it, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do ye in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, notice it's not unworthy. Many people see that word unworthily and they think that he's saying that we have to be worthy or we have to produce some kind of righteous act. Now the problem with that is if we have to produce something for our own salvation, then it means the blood of Jesus wasn't enough to do it for us. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily in the unworthy manner eateth and drinketh damnation, condemnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And as we said before, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So if these elements represent the body and the blood of Jesus, then just as the woman with the issue of blood who said, if I can just, just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Her words brought her in contact with the healing power of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, 
and brought her in contact with the healing power of God that changed her body and healed her as soon as she touched him. Then what should we speak? Or how should we come with the right attitude, the worthy manner concerning these elements? Well, Jesus said the cup was the New Testament in his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, as the Bible tells us. And the body of Jesus was that which was delivered in Pilate's court, where Jesus was beaten and very near was very near to death because of the beating that he took. So if an unworthy manner concerning the Lord's Supper, an attitude that doesn't discern the Lord's body, if that wrong manner of partaking of the Lord's Supper, the the communion elements, if it can open the door to sickness, then the right attitude concerning the Lord's body can close that door of sickness and restore us to divine health. Let's partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner.
I'm going to read from Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. And we sh when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. This word sorrows is the word pain and acquainted with grief. The word grief is sickness. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions, that's sins. He was bruised for our iniquities, that's sin too, but it's talking about Jesus paid the price for the original sin of Adam and Eve and the individual sins of all of the people who come to him and accept him as their Lord and Savior. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Father, we come to you and we realize and we accept the meaning of this bread. This bread symbolizes the body of Jesus that was sacrificed for us, that took upon himself stripes and a horrible beating to serve as the punishment of sickness and disease. Jesus, we thank you as our Lord and Savior that you have redeemed us from sickness and carried our pains. So we take this bread and in so doing we take our healing. We believe we receive healing in the name of Jesus because of the price that Jesus paid for us. Let's receive the bread. Jesus, you said this cup is the New Testament in your blood. It was your blood, holy blood, and only your blood that was made righteousness unto us that enable us to be a part of the family of God. Jesus, thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for making us righteous. Thank you for paying the price for our sin and for paying the price for Adam's sin. We receive this cup in the name of Jesus.
Let's all stand together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the price you paid, for the sacrifice you made for us. Your blood has made us holy. The beating you took has made us healed. We believe we receive healing in the name of Jesus. Say it with me. I am righteous by the blood of Jesus. I am healed by the stripes of you folks. Have a great week.